My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're really glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, welcome. We're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. Um, if I haven't met you before, and this is your first or second, third time or something, I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. So try to find me afterwards. I'd love to just um, say hello and introduce myself face to face. But we are continuing on in the book of 1 Corinthians. It'll be a little bit different today, and I'll explain that here in a second. But I want to read the first three verses of chapter 12 to help us <clears throat> with some context to what we're going to do today. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray this morning as we are going to be reading a lot of your word, I ask that um, you would um, allow us to trust you, that these are your words. This is your revelation to us so that we may know you, <clears throat> we may understand you. And I pray that you would change our minds today. And you would change our hearts today as we, as we try to understand the scriptures. And I pray that what we read and um, talk about today would change us when we leave this place. Um, I pray that your spirit would work in us and through us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> today we're, we are going to stay kind of with the theme of 1 Corinthians um, but we're going to kind of hit pause a little bit on actually going through the book, and we're going to look at the topic of the Holy Spirit this morning, the topic of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> starting in chapter 12 in this book, 12, 13, and 14, Paul is going to talk to the church in Corinth and, and help them understand what it's supposed to look like for the Holy Spirit to be active and moving amongst them, especially when they gather especially when they gather together, because this is kind of the point in the book where he's talking about when the Christians gather, here's what things um, should look like. And there's this assumption in Paul, as you read the book, beginning in chapter 12, that I think there's an assumption um, that he's already taught the church some things on the Holy Spirit, because he jumps straight into, well, here's what the Spirit looks like, and here's how he operates when you, you all gather together as a church. But I don't want to assume that for us. I want us to stop and take a week and just look at who the Holy Spirit is, who he is, and, and, and what he does. Look at a few things and what he does, and really kind of treat this as an autobiographical morning of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I want us today to be kind of a setup and to lay a foundation for the next several weeks because we're going to get into the weeds here in the next several weeks. So today it's going to be pretty general and I'm going to look we're going to look at a lot of scripture today because the scripture has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And we're still not going to exhaust all the scripture has to say about um, about um, the Holy Spirit. And so one of the reasons another reason why I want to do this today is when we start talking about the gifts and, and often people maybe you're like this when we start talking about the Holy Spirit in the church your mind immediately goes to the gifts, or what's that look like, or that strange, or the miraculous, and all these things. And, and I want to set that aside just for um, today at least, and just ask the question, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to operate in a normal, everyday way in the life of a follower of Jesus? 
Just look at that first today. Start there, and then we'll see some of those other things in the weeks ahead. And so I, I'm, one thing I'm convicted, I'm, I, I really want our church to grow in, and myself included personally, is that grow in our understanding, grow in our awareness, and grow in our relationship to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit often seems like um, the little brother of the Trinity or the crazy uncle, right? You have God the Father that we kind of get and we talk about like he's the big guy, right? And then we have Jesus, um, the son of the Trinity, right? And, he, and he's the one who dies for us, and we get that. He's kind of the center of the gospel, and we love that. And then you have the Holy Spirit. And I think once that starts to come up, we have this tendency, I think, to, to be a little, maybe a little confused. Uh, maybe we want to back up a little bit. Things start coming into our minds that maybe aren't biblical, which kind of makes us kind of scared to even walk into talking about who the Holy Spirit is. And I just really want to set that aside, resist those things, and walk head on to talking about the third person of the Trinity, who is God, right? And we're going to see this morning that he is really, really important. And I'm guessing for most of us in this room, our, our doctrine, our understanding of the Holy Spirit is probably one of those areas of our faith that's pretty underdeveloped. Like if you were to explain God, you could probably do a pretty good job, most of you. you uh, explain who Jesus is, you could probably talk for a while about Jesus. Actually, who the Holy Spirit is, it would probably be hard to have this uh, kind of developed um, idea of actually who the Holy Spirit is. And this leads to my question, it's a question I think we should ask ourselves, is, um, and, and, and it's really more, more of just a, a reflection type question, but can we be Christians... Can we truly follow Jesus if we neglect a part of the Trinity? If we neglect, if we forget about, if we diminish part of the Trinity, can we truly be followers of Christ? A.W. Tozer um, gets at this in this quote. He says this, and Tozer lived several decades ago, um, and he's talking about it in his present day, but I don't think too much has changed for us. He says this, that the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. So that's kind of a haunting uh, quote for us, right? It should make us say, okay, it's a big deal. And so part of today is I just want to convince you that the Holy Spirit is a big deal and someone that I think is worth paying more attention to. So here's how I'm going to lay this out today. We're going to look at six categories of the Holy Spirit's work um, in the Scriptures. So you could probably divide them up into more. You could probably combine them into less. I think six felt good as I read books and read this passage and looked at the Scripture. Um, so six categories. This is going to be feel, feel very topical, but I want us to kind of understand and see these different categories of the Spirit operates in, and then we'll talk about the next steps at the end, okay? So the first thing, we're going to read a lot of scripture here, so you're probably not going to be able to follow along. If you're really good at Bible drill and you were a Bible drill champion growing up in your church, maybe. I challenge you. I dare you to keep up with me if you still want that challenge that you had when you were a seven-year-old, okay? You can try, but they'll be on the screens if you can't keep up with me, okay? Here we go. Number one, the Holy Spirit creates. He creates. Genesis 1, verse 2. The Holy Spirit was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Not just God, but the Spirit of God. 
okay? The second thing he does, he gives life. The Holy Spirit gives life. In John 3, uh, verse 6, this is the, the, the place where Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and he's explained to him what salvation looks like. What, what does faith look like? What does it mean to be saved by Jesus? And he says this to him. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this is the passage we get this idea of being a born-again Christian, right? Meaning that this passage means that a human being is born from another human being. That's flesh born from flesh. And so one is spiritually changed, one is spiritually regenerated, one is spiritually brought to new life through the Holy Spirit. One is born from the Spirit and is the Spirit, he says there. Romans 8, this is Paul, he says this in, in verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, don't miss that, the Spirit's the one that rose but brought Jesus back from the dead. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, what the Holy Spirit does in our salvation, he's the, he's the actor in our regeneration. He's the one who acts on us first to cause us to believe. And oftentimes when we, you know, when we think back to our salvation, when we get saved, we think of the gospel that was preached. We think of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, which is great. We think of maybe what was going through our mind when we profess faith, all of those things. But how often do we remember the Holy Spirit was working behind the scenes through the message that was preached to us and in our hearts to bring us to faith? Give us faith. Give us belief. Um, this, is, this is important to think about, especially as we get into talking about the miraculous and kind of the, the wow factor of the Holy Spirit. The most miraculous thing, I'm convinced still, is when a person who's dead spiritually is brought to life. More than any other the miraculous gift of all the things that cause us maybe to go wow or to question, right? Bringing a, someone who's dead to life spiritually is still a miraculous thing. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. Think of, I'm thinking of the, the Paul, right? The, the, the Paul, who was a, a, named Saul, was a murderer of Christians. Like, this was what he did. He went around as an enforcer of the Pharisees um, to quench and to stop what the Christians were doing. This new little culty thing that was happening. He was there to stop, to persecute, to make sure things ran smoothly and, 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 and rid, rid the area or whatever of Christians, okay? And this is someone who hated Christians, but yet God changed this man's heart through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit bringing new people to life is miraculous. And we're a gospel-centered church, and we like to, we like to preach the gospel and think about it, and we want to lift Jesus up. Yes, 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 all that's good and right, but we can't forget that, that the, the actor in the gospel that often gets missed behind the scenes is the Spirit. Right? If you're, maybe it's a, to, to, I was saying of metaphors this morning, if you're a, a music person, it's like, maybe it's like the bassist in the band, right? It's like he, they, they often get no glory, maybe they're in the back, but if, 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 they, if they went away, you would notice. But they're always in the back doing their thing, kind of behind the scenes, and we often don't see it. Maybe like a good, uh, a good point guard in basketball, Right? Like someone who's, who's making everyone else better, who's shining the light on everyone else, but they're not taking a lot of the credit. This is the Holy Spirit. He's working behind the scenes in the gospel narrative. Okay? The third thing we see the Spirit do, he gives evidence of God's presence. Look at John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, Helper, by the way, Josh referred to it, um, 
a minute ago, but the helper is another word, a very common word for the Holy Spirit, right? When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Like, the Spirit testifies to who God is. In the Old Testament, God wasn't physically amongst them, right? They had, they had the tabernacle, they had the Holy of Holies, they had the temple, they had these places where the people would go to experience more of God's presence, and that came through the Spirit. You have Jesus, the people who lived when Jesus was around. You saw Jesus physically. They could touch him, they could follow him, they could, all those things if you lived when Jesus lived. But Jesus says, I'm about to leave and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. So today where we find ourselves, we don't see God physically here, we don't see Jesus physically among us. We have the Holy Spirit among us that actually testifies to who God and who Jesus is. It's a really important role, right? Really important that the Spirit's here. And we wouldn't be able to uh, really know what Jesus was like fully without the Spirit being here. He is the helper, John says. Fourth thing he does, he gives power for service and ministry. This is probably one of the more common things you see in the scriptures. We see this even in the Old Testament. So it's not just the New Testament where the Spirit starts. We see this in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Prophet Samuel is the first time he really meets David, who would be king. He's not king yet, still kind of a young boy. But this is what happens. He says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, um, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so it says the Spirit rushed upon David. That was the anointing. That was basically setting him aside to be king. This was God directing Samuel to mark out David as the future king. This is a big, big moment in David's life. Listen to the prophet Isaiah talk about Jesus and how the Spirit was at work there. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not be judged by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his, his ears hear. He's saying as he was, he was prophesying about Jesus, talking about the coming Messiah, like you see the Spirit all over this passage, right? Of how the Spirit was, um, was going to be on Jesus and working through Jesus while he was here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, right? Listen to this, through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, that's a big word, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and baptize Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity there, including the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, was he, Jesus, really with them to the end of the age? No. Like the, he, was, he was about to leave. He was about to ascend back to the Father, and he was going to send the Spirit to be with them till the end of the age. The, per, the, the person, God the form of God that was with them is the Holy Spirit moving forward. That's the person of the Trinity that was with them. He can, he can say all authority that I have has been given to me. I'm now going to give to you. He can say that because he's giving them the Spirit. Acts 1, 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem. This is after um, the resurrection, before he would ascend. He says, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you remember in other gospel narratives, um, he basically says, don't go do ministry. Stay, wait, stay right here. Don't run off and start telling people about me and the resurrection and everything. You said, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and then you're going to go. 
And you're going, power, and things are going to happen because you're waiting. Why? For the filling of the Holy Spirit. They could not do ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. This is why um, Jesus told them to wait. You look at the first part of the Jesus' birth narrative in Luke. Luke goes out of his way to show the involvement of the Spirit, but oftentimes I don't think we see it. Luke 1, 35, and the angel answered her to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's the one that allows Mary to give birth to Jesus. Luke 1, 41, a few verses later, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, remember John the Baptist was inside of her, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth um, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Okay, this is a really important marker in the life of Jesus. Now I do believe Jesus was fully God, fully man before this point. There's something that happens here because all of Jesus' ministry took place after this baptism. So it's like he needed the Holy Spirit to be able to minister the way he ministered for the next three years. Right? This was, he, the, uh, God sent the Holy Spirit to, in a sense, empower him to do ministry. And I don't th- it, it's not that he wasn't God beforehand. I'm not saying that. There was something that happened in Jesus' life when the Holy Spirit was sent and it fell on him. I think the question for us is how much of our lives is lived in our own strength, using our own intellect, using our own philosophy, just our day-in and day-out lives. How much are we aware of the Spirit's empowering to allow us to live the life that God's called us to live? The Scripture even says we're weak. Right? We're weak people. We're like weak vessels that carry the presence of God. So if you're leading out of your own power or strength or intellect, that is weakness compared to the strength of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to be more aware of this. The the fifth category the Holy Spirit works in, he helps followers of Jesus grow by guiding and directing them in this process called sanctification, helping us look progressively more and more like Jesus over time. Listen to uh, the, the next three passages all come from John 14, 15, and 16. This is a uh, really intimate moment he has with his followers before he would, um, that last week of his life, this is the last time he'd really get to sit down with them before his death and talk to them. So what he says here is really, really important. Listen to the things he says. Listen to how much the Spirit comes up. John 14, 15, and 17, uh, 15 through 17, and then we'll skip a few. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's for all followers of Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Very simple, but listen. And I, will, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In a sense, he's saying, obey me if you love me, but wait, I'm going to give you a helper to actually help you obey me. In verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And if you skip down to verse 25 in that same chapter, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Not some of the things I said, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so everything I taught you, everything, every word I spoke to you, all the things I modeled to you, everything you saw in me over these three years, the Holy Spirit's going to be here to remind you of those things and in a sense reteach you what I taught you. It's a huge comforting thing if you're 
those disciples and this, this, this person you've looked up to that's changed your life um, is leaving. The Holy Spirit's going to help them. John 15, this is the abiding passage. Uh, we'll just read verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is in that same context, that same conversation Jesus is having with his, his disciples. And he gives them what I think is probably the best illustration of what the Christian life looks like, is this, this vine and branches analogy. And his point is, and he puts it in the context where he's talking about the helper of the Holy Spirit, is because the way we uh, remain in the vine is through the Holy Spirit. The thing that's connecting the branches to the vine is Jesus, but it gets act out through the Holy Spirit. Okay, continue on John 16, the next chapter. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And if you skip on down to verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more in the coming weeks, but the Spirit only says and the Spirit only communicates what the Father and the Son want him to communicate. The Spirit's not going to do anything or say anything that is contrary to Jesus or God. Okay, the Spirit works in line with the other members of the Trinity. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is, has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's that idea of authority and being with you, right? So all that the Father has is now Jesus, is, and now Jesus is turning that over to his disciples, to his followers, and that comes down to us. But all that happens as a result of the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now let's shift to Paul. Listen to Paul here, and this, he, Paul uses this in most of his letters, right? He talks about the life of the flesh or the life of the Spirit. There's no other options for human beings. Either you're a person who lives your life in the flesh, or you're a person who lives your life in the Spirit. And the flesh here is just meaning that part of all of us that um, is not controlled by the Spirit. It's a little bit more than that, but if flesh is a weird word for you, it's just that part that is not influenced as much by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, 5 through 8. This is Paul in, in, to the church in Rome. For those those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, strong, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We all want it, right? We'll, we'll all sign up for that. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God if you live in the flesh. And then he says similar things, but he unpacks it a little bit more, gives some more examples in Galatians 5. This is a really important passage for us. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, so he's going to list some works of the flesh, just so they're clear, we can be clear. Works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And again, that doesn't mean that you never make mistakes in those areas. The goal is perfection, right? It's a, it's a lifestyle characterized by these things. Look at verse 22. Contrast that with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Like, you don't, you don't have to worry about doing these things or how much you do these things. There's nothing against these things. These things are good. These things are right. These things should be happening in your life. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And I think we can all understand this, right? If that list doesn't help us, um, when we are thinking back to just moment by moment, uh, uh, moments of your day and thinking about when am I controlled by the flesh and when am I controlled by the spirit? And oftentimes this is revealed by um, our emotions, right? If there's something on that list, like, I mean, there, the things on that list I think that, w- that we all have to be aware of, jealousy, envy, um, idolatry, uh, fits of anger, like I think we're all prone to those things. So we need to be aware of those sin, that, that sin, right? But even in stuff like anxiety, fear, um, those things that kind of can, can trap us and consume us. If we can just step back and say, am I being controlled by my flesh here or am I being controlled by the Spirit? Okay, is, is the fruit of the Spirit what my life is characterized by or is it characterized by something else? So again, I think that's a helpful just diagnostic to think flesh or spirit. And that really is what Paul is saying here. I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated and you've got to dig deep and you've got to reflect a little bit, but he is giving us two categories to help us understand how to live a life in line of the Spirit. Things like honoring and glorifying God, knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus, loving each other well, loving others well, loving our enemies well. All of those things won't happen apart from the Spirit. They won't happen because in our flesh, we don't want to do those things, right? I, I, I'm about me and myself and my own selfish desires, right? I want, I want to be my own God. And that is if I trust, if I'm, not even that I'm trusting in my flesh, if I'm just not aware of the Spirit, if I'm not working to be more controlled by the Spirit, I'm going to bend into selfishness or those things of the flesh. Last thing, uh, the Spirit reveals. The Spirit reveals. Uh, and this really comes into play when we're reading the Scripture. Listen to 1 Corinthians uh, 2. We read this several months ago. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And what Paul's saying here, he's saying, as we understand the Scripture, as we understand truth, that the Bible is inspired by the Spirit of God, and we have the Spirit of God as followers of Jesus, and something mysterious happens. We understand the Spirit. The Spirit is understood by us because the Holy Spirit is the link between these two things. This is what this is. This is a spiritual exercise. Learning your Bible, memorizing scripture, all of those understanding, it is all a spiritual exercise with the Holy Spirit being the one underneath that's doing all 
of that work. Do we have to work hard? Yes. Do we have to understand? Do we need to sharpen our minds? And other? Yes, absolutely. But the Spirit's working all the time behind the scenes to help us understand God's Word. So I want to step back here, and I want us just to reflect what becomes of people and churches when we neglect, minimize, downplay, even forget the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that. Like, what happens to a person or what can happen in a church when the Holy Spirit is shoved aside? Some things I thought about are, and this, this list could be a lot longer than this, but uh, we become uh, man-centered or human-centered, right? Like it becomes about the people primarily other than God. If in a church that can happen or become with all of us, right? I become about me and what I want and my passions and my desires, what I think is right, rather than being controlled by the Spirit and having that fruit of the Spirit play out in our lives. We become proud. Because why wouldn't we become proud? Because everything good that's happening in our lives is because of me, right? Because if, if it's not the Spirit working in my life, then it must be me. I must be really, really smart. I must be really well-behaved. I must be really righteous. I must be uh, really good at X, Y, or Z. I must be really good with people, right? And then, it, then over time, just we get puffed up. We get proud. But what changes is when it's like anything that comes out of me that is good, it's from the Spirit. That produces humility. That says, no, it's God doing this, not me. And that's the quickest way to honor and glorify God when we deflect off of us and put the emphasis on God the Spirit working in our lives. Uh, I think over time we're, we're, we become uh, less powerful or even powerless. right? The things that God has called us to do, dying to ourself, right? that is really, really hard. Right? Loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, loving people who, aren't, who don't agree with us, showing hospitality to our enemies. Like, are you kidding me, God? Like, what are you asking us to do? Well, he's given us the Spirit. He's given us the Helper. So if we don't have the Spirit, if we neglect the Spirit, we are not going to be able to do those types of things, I believe, for the kingdom. We'll become fruitless. Um, the fruit of the Spirit will be hard to come by. We'll have sin problems, flesh problems. All of those things could happen if we neglect or minimize or downplay the role of the Holy Spirit. So there are two things that you should be thinking about right now, in my opinion. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a really important person. Right? If I haven't convinced that of you, that's why we read a lot of Bible today, right? If you're not convinced that the Holy Spirit's a big deal after reading all those scriptures, I think that's an issue, right? The Holy Spirit is really, really important. Probably more important than most of us um, think, uh, think about, right? The second, the second thing you should be thinking about, and I understand this question, if he is the one doing this work and he's doing this inside of me, what role do I play? What do I do? Like, is, am I just a machine? Like, what, like, so what? Like, how does this affect me when I leave this place? Do I just say, hey, spirit, work in me, and then I just go on about my business? No, there's some things we can do. And the, the, traditionally, these are, these are called the means of grace, call them spiritual practices. Um, these are the things when we say, hey, you should read your Bible. We do that so you can learn more about God intellectually, absolutely. But the reason why we're so big on reading your Bible is because the Spirit works through that, and this, all of what we talked about today happens when we are people who read our Bible over a long period of time. So let me break this. This is, this is our application. I want to break this down into two lists. I'm just going to run through these quick. The first is a, what I would call a corporate means of grace. Things when we come together as followers of Jesus, the Spirit uses to 
to do all those things I mentioned, to help us grow, to equip us for ministry, to bring, to bring uh, refreshing, refresh our lives, all of those types of things. So I'll start with the two that are, that are uh, uh, sacraments or ordinances, meaning they were ordained by Jesus, baptism and communion. Right? Baptism and communion is something the Spirit works through those things when we corporately um, observe those things. Baptism, communion, preaching of the word. Right? This is why we're so um, big on preaching of the word. And it's not just so you can sit out and learn more about God. It's not so you can even be inspired to, to live more like God. Those things happen, yes, but what preaching does over time, week after week, month after month, year after year, if you sit under preaching from the word, you will be changed because of the Spirit. Because again, every week the Spirit is moving through the Word, and this, you're receiving it through one who has been, that has the Spirit inside of you. And over and over and over, the preaching of the Word changes you, and it shapes you. Not necessarily one sermon, maybe one sermon changes your life, but it's the cumulative effect of sermon after sermon, year after year. This is why coming on Sundays is so important. It's not just because we want to be, um, it's because what you should do, and we're real traditional. No, because we feel like the Spirit moves um, when you're here and you sit under the preaching of the word. Worship through song is similar, right? It's similar. Like we, you learn, you learn, yes, you feel good when you sing. Hopefully you feel good when you sing. You feel, there's, a, there's a sense of, uh, of, of, of deepness when you sing songs. You learn truth in songs. But the same as preaching, right? It's not the moment-by-moment moment thing you feel when you sing songs. It's over time, every week, every Sunday coming in, thanking God, adoring God, Focusing on God, taking the focus off yourself, that is something good that happens inside of you through the power of the Spirit week after week. Corporate prayer. When we pray, God moves, okay? Um, that some, that so, sometimes prayer's hard. I'll even say it's boring for some of us, especially if you have a hard time sitting still, focusing. It can be boring. Like, not, like, not, like the, the angels don't start singing every time we pray. And because it's a, it's a, again, it's a practice that you have to put, you have to do it moment by moment, week after week, year after year, and then you start to see the benefits. The last one I'll mention, and again, this is not an exhaustive, is the reading of Scripture. I'm not talking about personal devotion. I'm talking about when we, just like today, we read a lot of Scripture. Again, and it's not just to understand the Scripture or know what's in the Bible. It's because, again, it is inspired by God. It's, this is a spiritual exercise. It's, it's mysterious, but the Spirit does something when God's Word is read. If you look at history of revivals and things like this, sometimes these revivals happen. There were other things involved, but it kind of kicked off when people just got up and started reading God's Word. Right? You have Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament. They recover God's, God's law, and they just started reading it. And then people uh, woke up, and they, 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 they fell down. They repented. Only be, not, no explaining God's Word. It was just reading God's Word. Okay? There's power in reading God's Word. Let's move on to the individual means of grace, okay? Again, not an exhaustive list. I won't spend as much time on these because I think we get these. But again, I want to say this as a, as a uh, I, I want to kind of beat you to this if you're thinking about this. Um, because you work really hard and you're a disciplined person and you put in these practices does not make you a legalist, okay? We're a gospel-centered church. Being, being disciplined, spiritual Christian is not being a legalist, right? It's not. We understand that God saves us. The gospel saves us. We, these things we do don't save us. We get that. However, if we're going to have the Spirit working in our lives, if we're going to be aware of the Spirit, if all these things, we're going to benefit from the work of the Spirit in our lives, we have to do these things. Again, they're practices. They're discipline. It's just like anything you do. 
the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. I mean, that is like a, that is a rule, a law of our life, I feel like, of, of, of just nature. Same thing with these. So here's a few of them. Spiritual, uh, uh, scripture reading, right? Reading the Word. It's like, have a, have a reading plan, right? Have a reading plan in 2021, right? Why? To learn, to get all those things. But every time you sit down together, the Spirit's working through the Word, the Spirit's working in you, even if you don't feel it in that moment, even if you don't have the, that day where everything feels great, you do it, and over time, Enough of those things makes you into the kind of person who can, can listen to the Spirit, can understand the Word, and the Spirit is active and moving in that. Prayer, same idea as, as Scripture reading. And, if you, and, and I'm going to list a few other ones. Maybe you wouldn't count these, but I think in our day and age, these are the ones we should focus on. Silence. Can you sit in a room with just your thoughts and the Spirit's thoughts? No music, no worship music. Um, not even nature. Nature's good. I think it's fine, but nothing to eat. No, no external stimuli. Just you and the spirit. What happens? Try that. You'll see like where you, maybe, maybe you're, you're just a person who can't sit still, or maybe 90% of your thoughts are your thoughts and not the spirit's thoughts. Okay, let's work on that. Let's move that to where you're listening to the spirit more and you can hear him more rather than you hear yourself. Because if I sit in a room by myself, I wanted some weird stuff I start thinking about but too often, like, Satan gets in there and is like, well, you should be doing this. That thing you said last week, ah, you should have said it better. That person's probably mad at you. That's why they haven't returned your email, right? Like, that's the stuff that goes in my head. So I- I'm really good at listening to the flesh. Am I good at listening to the spirit? Again, practicing. It's like training. Uh, next, Sabbath. Um, I would, again, we don't rest well. I don't rest well. Our culture doesn't rest well. Most of us. Sabbath, return to it. It's okay to, 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 to observe the Sabbath. You're not being a legalist if you observe a Sabbath and set that day aside to focus on the Lord. That's, 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 not, um, that's not something we should just completely do away with, okay? Fasting. Food is what that's primarily for. That's important. But I think you can also fast some, from some other stuff that um, has the same effect on us and, and, and it controls us like food. Solitude, similar to silence. Can you be alone? Can you be alone for any length of time? Maybe this is for you extroverts, right? Like you, you, you can be alone with the Holy Spirit. He is God. He's better than your friend. <laughs> He's better than your spouse. It doesn't feel better than your spouse, probably because we haven't cultivated how to listen and, and feel the relationship of being alone with the Holy Spirit. Giving. Again, a lot of times that's not put in here, but are you, are you disciplined in your giving? That's going to be giving of money, giving of time, giving him resources, whatever that is. Are you a giving person? Thanksgiving. Are you a person who, who routinely thanks God for everything you have, the grace that he shows you? That's a, that's a discipline. For, some of us are really good at that. Some of us are really bad at that. Some of us need to have that as a discipline like we would prayer or reading the scriptures. And the last one I'll mention um, is simplicity. I mean, this, that's kind of an old, um, old um, monk, um, maybe middle ages type discipline, but I think we need to return to it, right? This, this, this like rise of minimalism you know, in the world, um, I think what they're getting at is this idea of simplicity. Like when, when, you, when you get rid of a lot of the junk or a lot of the noise, you can actually focus on what's most important. What's most important to us? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit working in our lives and then our families and on down. But can, are, is our, our lives simple enough? Is our calendar simple enough to be able to um, um, have the Holy Spirit control, move us, and empower us? 
And then my prayer for us is that we would be a church and a people who become more aware of the Holy Spirit. We have to start there and begin to work some of these things into our lives so we can experience more of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, that we're not, um, that when Jesus uh, returned to you, ascended back, that we weren't left alone, that we weren't left with just our minds trying to understand God's word um, like we would any other book, that you, you sent the Holy Spirit when Jesus um, ascended. You sent him, and he does all of these things, and all of these things are just acts of grace. You didn't have to send your spirit. You didn't have to live inside of us. You didn't have to set it up like this, but you did. And we're thankful. And I pray now as we move on to our time of communion that we remember um, your son and what he did on our behalf. But that also we wouldn't forget the role of the Spirit in something like communion. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.